What do you want? Just really think about, like, honestly think about that question. What do you want? This is the first question that Jesus asks his disciples in the Gospel of John. If you have your, your Bible or you want to check it out, it's in John 1, 35 through 38. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? And this is the question I ask you tonight. Um, and I really mean it. Like, what do, you de- what do you most desire in your life? What brings you the most satisfaction What do you find yourself longing for? What do you find yourself thinking about? After Peter denied and betrayed Jesus, Jesus met him on the beach and they had breakfast and Jesus asked this question, do you love me? Notice that he doesn't ask, what do you know? Peter, what do you know? Or Peter, what do you believe? Instead he asks, do you love me? This is important to note that Jesus wants to know about our longings and our desires, our wants and our, and our loves. Um, and I think it's because of this. Check out this verse in James 2.19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So we see that Jesus is, following Jesus is, about, is more about hungering and thirsting for him than knowing and believing. Jesus isn't, content just to put new ideas in our head. He wants like the heated and most passionate parts of you. He's, he's after nothing less than the very whole of you. He doesn't just want a mental assent or an agreement mentally. I believe in Jesus. Mark 12, 30 says, so someone says to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Do you love me is another way of of asking, what do you want? What is your heart's affection seeking after? This is actually a very piercing question because here's a truth. And I just want you to think on it for a second. We become what we love. Whatever you love, whatever you want, you become. And, And that might sound strange, but but we actually kind of know this to be true. How many of you guys uh, have a sport or a hobby that you love? Okay. Now, how many of you like, I think there's some people when it comes to a sport, especially, they talk about the love of the game, right? The love of the game. Like uh, athletes talk about that a lot. Like, man, I got mixed up in the competition, but you know, I returned to the, my love for the game. If you love the game, you don't just play basketball you are a basketball player. If you love the game, you don't just play baseball, you're a baseball player, right? It actually becomes what we love and what we want actually becomes a part of us. This is why if you love video games, if you, you could make a life, um, you could make your life's ambition to play video games. You could be a video gamer or you could become not just someone who performs in dramas, but you could be an actor. P. 
people, um, like for me personally, I'm like, I would love to be a surfer, but I actually just surf. Like, I wish I could make my life about it. I wish that I just loved it so much and I could just spend all this time like ditching out on responsibilities, but I can't. And so I just go surfing, but I'm not a surfer. But there are people who make it their lives ambition and actually even talk poorly about people that just go surfing, right? I've been listening to this podcast and they're like, yeah, there's just some people that just like try it for fun, but like I am a surfer, you know? It's true. It's people devote their lives to things that they love. Um, our wants, longings, and desires are at the core of, of our identity. And this is where our actions and our behaviors flow from. This is why scripture says in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything else you do flows from it. So here's, here's a couple truths. And I've been speaking to this one. What we love impacts what we do, but the reverse is true. What we do also impacts what we love. So what we, what we love impacts what we do, right? We act on the, that love or that desire, that want. And, and also the things that we are doing are shaping our, our wants and our longings and our desires. Does that make sense? So it's just like this kind of circle, right? Like the more you do it, the more you love it. And the more you love it, the more you do it. Make sense? Colossians 3, 12 through 14 kind of speaks to this. It says, therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So although love describes a longing and an affection, it also describes something that we do, right? Uh, And it talks about all these virtues, right? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Virtues, the definition of virtue is just a good habit, okay? And we put on these good habits, they become virtues, and and then the flip, a bad habit, would be called a vice, right? You're doing something, it's a vice. It becomes a bad habit. Now, the habit of love, that is doing love, things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. um, When we put on these things, they become a part of us. You aren't just a person that does compassionate things. Like the more you do these virtues, it becomes part of your identity. You are now compassionate. You didn't just once or twice do something nice. You actually are becoming caring for others. Uh, you don't just do kind things. You are kind. And also you don't just do humble things. Eventually, the more that you do humble things, you become humble. Uh, this is why right now, my wife, Danica, and I, where's Danica for the sixth graders? She's over here, sixth graders. That's my wife, Danica. Um, there's new sixth graders. I'm introducing you. Um, me and my wife, Danica... <laughs> We are being very intentional with our, with our two-year-old son, Olin, and his actions. We're concerned very much about what he's doing. Uh, we, right now, we, we, we force him to say sorry, uh, and he's usually not. We're like, Olin, say sorry, because the desire is that someday he'll really be sorry. He won't just, he won't just do things that make him sorry. 
or he won't just say sorry. He will really be sorry. We're hoping for that. Um, the goal is not that he would share, not just that he would share his toy with another kid, but that one day he would grow up and be a generous person, that it would become a part of his identity. Does that make sense? Um, his actions one day will become his habits and his habits will shape what he loves and what he loves will shape who he becomes. So what you do does something to you. What you love impacts what you do and what you do impacts what you love. So a couple questions for you guys. What do you love and how is it impacting what you do? Answer that for yourself right now. What do you love? You might have to chew on it. What do you love and how does it impact what you do? And also, what do you do and how is it impacting what you love? What are the things you're doing and how might it be impacting what you love? This becomes really tricky because you may not love what you think. Your deepest desires are the ones that spill out in your everyday life and habits, right? Like you can say you love one thing, but then when you're acting, you're kind of voting with your actions what you really love. And so sometimes our love and affection uh, under the hood operating and the things that we're doing um, are, are not like, what we wish that they were. Does that make sense? You can say like, man, I really like, what I love is something virtuous, but then our actions can show like, man, what we love and what we're really desiring in this moment is something less than or something different. So it's worth taking note that what you wish you loved is different than what you may be loving or longing for or what you may be doing. Uh, And I wanna ask the question, how many people in our world are actually doing things intentionally. Like, like I really believe lots of people just kind of float through, especially during summer, right? It's like, we'll see what happens. I'll wake up and I'll, I'll go over here and, I'll, and if something's going on, I'll do it, right? We kind of float through unintentionally. For most people, they're going with the flow. Um, and even if you don't have a plan for your habits and your actions, know this. If you, have, if you don't have a strategy or a plan for your habits and actions, Someone else does. Have you guys all heard of the phrase uh, attention mining? Attention mining. This is the most profitable business in the world. Uh, it's it's uh, these apps, these devices, this technology that we all have. They are all grabbing for your attention. Uh, have you guys ever noticed that you don't pay for the apps that you use typically, right? They seem free, uh, but the truth is, is that this app or tech company is actually mining your attention, right? There was the gold rush in California, but now there's a new rush for people's attention. These companies are starting up and they're actually trying to grab your attention because your attention makes this big, this big tech industry money, uh, You guys are the product and you are the cash cows. And same for for me. But I just, when I was writing this, I had this image, right? This is like, if we could just imagine all these people focusing on their devices 
and staring at their screens. And these companies are just raking in the dough. They're just raking it in off of our attention. How do they make money? You might be wondering that. How do apps and devices, technology, how do they make money? Uh, They're making money off of you by in-app purchases. Uh, I know some of you middle schoolers have just bought one too many sweaty skins. Um, In-app purchases through selling, right? Fortnite is not free. Those guys rake you over the coal. But um, through selling advertisements to you, if you've been in these apps, you see like there's these little ads that pop up these, these ads that pop up, they're paying this app to allow their ad for you to see. Um, also, maybe you do pay for subscriptions to things, right? It was actually just noted that, that the CEO of Netflix said, our competitors are not, are not YouTube or Google. Our competitor is sleep. We're trying to get people to sleep less so that we can have more of their attention and money and time. Um, the people that built these and are mining your attention and making money off of you, uh, they know the damage that it causes, right? Steve Jobs was quoted by the New York Times saying, we limit how much tech our kids use in the home. Evan Williams, who founded Twitter, bought tons and tons of books for his young boys and refused to give them technology. Leslie Gold um, imposed, she, she was a founder of an analytics company. She imposed a strict no screen time during the week rule on her kids. It seems as if the people that are producing tech products are following the cardinal rule of drug dealing, which is never get high on your own supply, right? They're like, we know that we're making money off of, off of everyone's attention and therefore, we're not going to let it damage our kids, right? Um, did you know there are only six companies with a trillion dollar valuation, and five of them are tech firms? These are the richest country or richest um, companies in the world, and so they are taking over the world by taking advantage of your of your attention, your money, your time. Uh, and don't get me wrong. There actually, there's a lot, this is where I've really struggled with this series, is there is a lot of good happening on technology, right? Even though, like, big tech is exploiting us, there's a, God is doing a lot on tech, on tech in many ways. The Chosen, anyone? Right? Still only read the book, but... Um, right? Cho- the Chosen is legit. You see... Uh, TikTok, there are people here tonight that have been saved on TikTok. And then, like, talk to someone about this just today, and they're like, yeah, I was saved on TikTok. And then my friend reached out because he was saved on TikTok. I do not deny that God is on the move um, in spaces like that. Um, however, however, the argument that this is simply a tool is a poor argument. Social media is not a tool because why? Tools are neutral. A hammer can be used for good and bad. I could build a house. I could beat someone up with a hammer. But the hammer is not influencing my decision. Does that make sense? Big tech is influencing your decisions for 
the bad for for bad. They're stealing. They are intentionally stealing your love and um, impacting your desires in unhealthy ways. And and really, just think about it. How how is tech, whether it be TV, video games, phones, iPads, whatever it might be, just think of how it makes you feel overall. How is it impacting your desires? For instance. Does it satisfy you in healthy or unhealthy ways? When you're on a device, what sorts of things do you find yourself longing for? What sorts of things do you find yourself thinking about? The truth is that these companies are appealing to you through your vices. It turns out that kindness and compassion don't sell, right? They, they are preying on our fallen nature, they're, they're not preying on our virtues. They're preying on our vices. These companies, like if you just think of the seven deadly sins, like I'm just going to go through them, seven deadly sins. Lust. Think of the amount of inappropriate things that, we, that people see on their phones. Gluttony, which means overconsumption. Greed and consumerism. Sloth, which just means being lazy. Like, do I even have to explain that one, right? It's this mindless distraction. We find ourselves binging or Netflix or whatever it may be. Wrath, like violence, right? That people do to one another, right? Um, the, 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 the kind of wrath that's poured out on social media platforms against each other. Uh, or even like, if you think of these TV shows with all this violence, we're just getting more and more desensitized. Like, like the sorts of graphic, violent images we can see on Netflix are honestly pretty crazy, right? Things that like we would never see without tech, like bloods and gut, blood and gut. Like, it's appealing to our fallen nature. Envy, again, self-explanatory. What is social media if not comparing our life with others? Pride, like again. We literally are building, people say building a platform. Like building a platform is just another way of saying building a shrine about myself, right? Um, in January 2021, eMarketer found the average U.S. adult increased time on digital media to eight hours per day um, with over three of those hours being spent on a smartphone, Four to 10,000 ads are, are we see per day on a screen, the average person. In one minute in the US alone, there are 7 million videos being watched on Snapchat, 2.5 million posts being liked on Instagram, and 3.5 million texts being sent in just one minute. David Heinemer Hansen, it's a pretty fun name, says the defense of app companies is that this is how we get these apps, which is for free. How oxymoronic. Here's this thing for free. If you give me the most valuable things you own, your attention, your privacy, your peace of mind, the price tag may say zero, but it ain't free. And I'm not just, I'm not saying that this is our only threat to our love for God. Um, but I believe personally, over the last year, I've, it's been my conviction, I've been really chewing on this topic for many months leading up to this. It is my conviction that tech is our biggest threat to our love and devotion to God in this day and age. Is, is like 
as a youth pastor, I find it to be one of my number one obstacles to, to discipling students to love the Lord. Um, once when a Pharisee asked Jesus what the most important command was, he said, and I quoted this earlier, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and with your mind, and with, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Get those mixed up. And when Jesus says this, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now I have to ask a couple questions. Do we have God's words on our heart and mind? Do we teach them diligently to our kids? Do we talk about them when we sit in our house or when we walk alongside the road or when we lie down or rise? Do we bind them on our hands and between our eyes? Or is it something else? This series is all about learning to love God with every ounce of our being and to develop habits that that help us love God more and to throw off habits that make us love God less, especially tech habits. Uh, When we pursue tech, we are trying to fill a void that only Jesus can fill. We all, like, we all sense that we were made for more, right? When we're scrolling and we're scrolling or watching, watching, we're engaging, like, I've had those moments where I go, I think I'm made for more than this. We were. D. Brock says, the chief end of humankind is to love God wholly. We were designed to love, but to love well, we must love the right person. In Romans, it talks about, in Romans 8, it talks about how all we, along with all of creation, is groaning to be back with Christ, for the heaven and earth to be made brand new. And that even now, we can experience the first fruits of that through the Holy Spirit. In Romans, it also describes, in Romans 1, how we have a tendency to worship and long for things that God created instead of worshiping him. We put our hopes and dreams and longings into things that are not magnificent enough to hold them. Like getting that new follower or buying that new thing that we saw on an advertisement or watching that video that you know you shouldn't watch or binging that TV series or beating that game. And the thing is, is that these things are never going to satisfy you. They're never going to fulfill you. And you know it. They're never going to help you become who you want to be. And know this, God is a jealous. He's a jealous God. Scripture describes him as this. Anything that we love that is not God is an idol. And And when we love idols, this makes God jealous. Just check out this verse in Exodus 20, four through five. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heaven, in the heavens or on the earth or in the seas. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. You may wonder like, why is, God, why is God jealous? What does it mean that God is jealous for us? God is jealous for you because he paid a high price for you. You are meant to be his. 
And, and he gave his only son for you. So when we give our devotion to anything else, it is infuriating to him. He's completely flabbergasted. He's blown away. He's left scratching his head in frustration. And he, and he should be, right? Considering the price that he paid, can you imagine paying that price? Would you not be jealous if you were beaten and bruised and killed for someone and offered them a wonderful life and they turned their affection to something else? Would it not break your heart? In the Old Testament, when God rescues his people from slavery and he literally parts the Red Sea for them and he defeats an empire for them and he shows them miraculous signs and he follows them in fire and smoke and he feeds them by food falling from the sky and he splits a rock and water gushes out of the ground and he promises them that there will be a land that will meet all of their needs and they follow other gods? Are you serious, right? As we read Old Testament, sometimes we're like, are you guys kidding? But it's our story too. In scripture, the Old Testament describes God's people as playing a prostitute. If you read the book of Hosea, God describes Israel as his bride who cheats on him. And yet in God's great love, he keeps pursuing his people. He did it then and even now he's pursuing you. He woos Israel and he woos you back to him time and time again. And listen to what he says in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 20, seven through nine. It says, on that day, I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, but they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that I should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt." Even though God had promised to give them an amazing life, they could not keep their gaze off of detestable things. They could not throw aside their love and affection for other things. And God wanted to destroy them for it, but he didn't because it's not in his nature. It's not in, it's not in his nature to destroy them. He says, I, I made a promise. I'm going to remain faithful to them. And this is true in our lives. God wants more for us. It makes him jealous and angry when we feast our eyes on detestable things. Know this, it is in God's nature to continue to extend life to the full to you if only you'll grab a hold of it. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I can't help think that the, that the life of tech is like a broken amusement, party, a broken amusement park that everybody goes to, right? Uh, where all the paint is peeling and the Ferris wheel is 12 feet tall and it gets stuck all the time and your neck hurts when you're doing the bumper cards because they're super jerky and the popcorn tastes like our popcorn 
And you sense that there's more to life, but you just can't imagine it any other way. So we laugh empty laughs and tell ourselves that tech is great. Um, maybe some of you, tech is brand new. You, you just got your phone or you just got that social media app and it feels like an amazing roller coaster. Like, dude, it's not a broken amusement park. I'm flying on this thing. Um, but I, I heard that just this week, there's been roller coasters breaking down. Have you guys heard of this? One roller coaster was stuck upside down for like several hours, right? People had to get like brought down because their, all their blood was rushing to their head and their eyes were starting to bulge. Like, that's what I feel like tech is. Like, oh, it looks new and fancy, but like, it's not all it's cracked up to be, right? There really is a better way than a broken down amusement park of tech. And, and Jesus' way really is better. I don't just wanna be the guy that's like ragging on tech, saying it's bad, like the old grumpy grouch. Um, I, want to, I wanna compel you and plead with you to follow Jesus and to love him wholeheartedly um, because it really is a better way. And I'm really not calling you to break up with technology. I'm just calling and asking and pleading that you would redefine the relationship. Redefine the relationship because a life with Jesus and, and a life where we aren't so devoted to tech, I, I think is, like a li- is going to be a life of peace. Imagine a life of peace where you don't have to look at a constant feed of the world's problems and issues, even the world's international stuff, but instead you can live rooted in your own time, your own place, and your own community. You're not shouldering the weight of the world. Um, You don't have to read other people's online arguments and disputes. Imagine a life of contentment where you aren't always being told about the latest clothing drop or the newest video game or looking at everyone else's highlight reel, right? You aren't having to always see everyone's new dating relationship and feeling like you're missing out. Imagine a life of being more connected to the relationships right before your eyes, to your own, to yourself, more connected to your own feelings and emotions, to the world around you, to God. We get to actually get outside and enjoy the good weather that we have, have the sun in our face and the breeze in our hair, or go on an evening walk, or take it, like, go get takeout with your best friends, where, and you're not constantly reaching for your device. Wouldn't it be nice to be like, like enjoying a Chick-fil-A milkshake and just engaging in conversation instead of scrolling Right? Imagine a life of confidence where you are, you're, you're like really good with who you are. You're not dependent on other people's likes or reactions. You're not wondering what's happening with that picture you posted. Instead, you're fully confident in who God says that you are. You, you're walking in this kind of humble confidence and you don't have a fragile ego that's dependent on other people saying like, yeah, you're worthy. That's why this summer, I wanna invite you on a journey of redefining our relationship with technology. Um, All of us have let tech drive the relationship for too long. We need to define boundaries so that we can live in a really more humane way. We need to spend time on our devices because we want to, not because the algorithm has exploited you. Does that make sense? Um, And I know how this goes. Like, Like I have this temptation in my life. Trust me, I just watched six Rockies and all three creeds, like this month. <laughs> Jeremiah knows. Um, like, and tech, tech gets us all in different ways. It's like, 
I don't, I don't mean any of this to shame anybody. My, for my wife, she plays a farming app and she feels really good when she completes all these, all of these tasks. She's like, I'm going to plant this stuff and I'm going to be able to harvest it in seven hours. And she like, for someone who's a task person and likes getting things done, that fulfills her. And I'm like, Hey, managing a fake farm feels stressful to me. And if there's not, if I can't burn someone else's farm farm down, I'm not that interested. Um, I'm just saying, like, it's like, what are you going to do with that farm? Is anyone going to, do you have to guard it? She's like, no. I'm like, what? Um, this summer, you get to decide what you, what you want to do with your habits. You don't just get, have to, like, like, let life happen to you. Let tech do whatever. Um, because remember, we, what we do shapes what we love and what we love shapes what we do and what we love and what we do ha- uh, shapes who we become for tonight. I want to end with these questions, with the questions I started with, and then I just want to offer a couple challenges, right? I want to end with these questions. Once again, they're similar to what do you want, but they are, what do you love? What are the things you are doing and who do you want to become? What do you, what are you, what do you love? What are the things you're doing and who do you want to become? And then I just want to make a proposal. Each week we're going to be issuing a challenge and, um, and these challenges will either help you build good habits or throw off bad habits. We're going to have them every single week this summer. And this week's challenge is called Motivation Check. Okay, a lot of times we pick up our phone or our iPad or our remote and we don't know why. It's routine, it's automatic. And so for the next week, I wanna ask you to commit to creating a stop sign for your device. I don't care what that stop sign is. It could be a rubber band that you wrap around it. It could be a sticky note. It could be a wallpaper on the back on your phone that says wait or pause something that you'll see before you use this device. And then every time you see the stop sign, I want you to ask three questions every time. What for? What am I picking up this device to do? What's my goal? Why now? Why am I doing this now instead of later? Could it wait? And what else? Is there something else I'd actually rather do? That's the challenge for this week. I'm going to have another challenge for next week because what we do shapes what we love. What we do and love shapes who we become. So let's start doing some things to shape our loves. And then there's one that's a summer long challenge. Okay. I bought this really cool phone locker. I meant to bring it in here, but it's like, have you guys seen these? Maybe you're some of your teachers have them. It's like a phone locker. You open it, it looks really high tech, like it's silver briefcase, but it's got slots for phones. And I'm inviting you um, to consider putting your phone in there while you're at youth. Um, And here's why. Every single year at camp, when we tell you guys that there's no tech tech allowed, we get loads of complaints like, I need music when I sleep. How many of you have made that complaint to me? You don't have to raise your hand, so many. What about pictures? What if I need to talk to my parents? How will I read my Bible or take notes? 
And I was telling Jeremiah today, it's funny when you guys say take notes, now all you mean is take pictures and it takes the note for you. I don't even think that helps with retention. You're just stowing away all my notes. Um, and then like when, when we return home from camp, your guys' favorite part of camp is always being away from distractions, focusing on my friends and on God. In other words, not having your phone, right? I personally believe one of the reasons you guys hear from God at camp is because you're away from your phones. And so I wanna invite you to experience this at youth every single week this summer. We believe that when we get together, it's a precious thing. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're gonna have this phone locker available to you out at Block Party uh, with our new student welcome center. Don't worry, no one will be able to steal your phone. We'll have people monitoring it. And you'll get one of, you'll literally write your name on the slot. There's little name spots and it will be yours. There's 60 slots. I hope we fill it. This isn't mandatory. I'm not going to make anyone do this, but you drop it off when you walk in and you pick it up when you walk out and you might think it would do nothing, but I really believe it will. I believe it could change the way that our community interacts with one another, being fully present during free time. Um, worshiping without having to feel your phone vibrate, listening to my sermon, come on, without getting tempted to scroll, and then like engaging more wholeheartedly in small group. Um, Obviously, you're gonna have to let your parents know that you wanna participate in this summer long thing so that they aren't like, so that they know how to get a hold of you if they need you. Um, But my hope is that we can create like a mini camp every week where you get to experience the freedom of not having a phone and getting connected to God and to one another. Does that make sense? Um, We are further into small group than I'd like to be, but I really want to discuss some of these things with you guys. So why don't you guys go ahead, divvy up into small group right now, and then uh, use over at 830. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you guys a ton.